listeners, as you're all aware, Infrastructure Junkies podcast is on its post-season three break, and we're working very hard to bring you a blockbuster season four. The premiere to that season will drop here in just a couple of weeks. So to fill the time, we're releasing a bonus episode. And as you all know, we have another podcast called Infrastructure Junkies Unfiltered, and this is a leaked episode with our good friend Fred Easton. Fred comes on to talk about expert witnesses and how honest they really should be. He gives us a little insight into surveying and Casey Anthony. Enjoy. Fred Easton today. That's who we have on Unfiltered, who... um, uh, texted me with a hot topic last night, and we're like, damn, Fred, let's talk about this. Can you come on Unfiltered today and expound upon this? And so Fred's like, sure. And we had some things move around on our schedule, so here we are. How you doing hey, today, Fred? Fred? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. No, thanks for thanks for coming on. This is good stuff. We, we start um, all of these episodes the same way. We kind of ask, like, what are you listening to? What are you reading? What are you watching? Is there anything on any of those three genres going on with you right now? You know, um, my wife, uh, I've been working a lot and uh, I've got a workstation in the living room and she had turned on the Casey Anthony, uh, where the truth lies. Yeah. Uh, that new series on Peacock and, uh, totally got into it cause was totally into the case back in the day. I love true crime series of any kind, just about. And, um, so I was like, okay, I got, I got to stop working. I got to watch this. I got to see this. This is interesting. So, so that the name rings a bell, give us a little bit of background on that um, without oh, without spoiling it for anybody. <laughs> is that the girl that fell kid. into the well? Like no, that's baby no. Jessica. That's baby Jessica. This lady killed her kid. Oh yeah, well and got, she, and got away with it. She that at least that's you know maybe, but the uh, exactly. yeah the the um, her her daughter uh, Kaylee Anthony yeah. Um, yeah, so she had she had gone missing, but uh, was unreported for like thirty days, and then finally the grandmother reported it, uh, uh, Casey Anthony's mom, and then um, uh, Casey Anthony led the police around a whole bunch of different lies, uh, lied about where she worked, lied about who the nanny was, uh, lied about uh, where she was staying, all kinds of stuff, and. Uh, so looked pretty bad and, uh, they arrested her. And, um, the interesting thing that came out in this new case. So the, the, the court of public opinion went against her immediately and the media did what the media does best, which is what's going to make me the most money. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you, you can see it like one, one podcast that talked about this case, they tried to go into uh, or they talked about how CNN tried to do an expose on George Anthony, her father, who was had a lot of kind of things that didn't add up in the very beginning. But the police weren't looking at him at all, and no one watched it. No one wanted to hear that. Wow. If you weren't talking about Casey Anthony, they didn't know the public didn't care. So wow. the media concentrated on the public, and you could probably do an entire podcast just on where we were as a society this was 2007 2008 time frame we were at the bubble had burst on the real estate market 
we had young, she was the perfect age of that young millennial um, starting out, didn't not a clue where they were going, uh, unexpected child, um, moved back in with her parents. And, um, you know, this was happening across the whole U.S., right? A mm-hmm. lot of people in that age group. And you had a lot of people, ageism was really starting off with the millennials of parents who was having their kids come back in because their their kids had defaulted on their home. And they're like, well, you don't have a clue. You don't know how to survive in this world. Um, ignoring the fact that, you know, all the factors that led to the housing crash of 2007, 2008. And here was this perfect person to spotlight and say, well, look, this is how bad the millennials were and exactly what's wrong with millennials. Uh, She just wanted to party and not have a kid, so she killed her kid. And that was the narrative that drove the story. Um, So you you could dig into that. You could do a whole podcast on it, easy. And I think there are some out there. Is yeah. the is the show is it's she's on it right like they interview her does it does it is it telling a different story than what what you just said is how I feel and I'll, I'm going to tell you three things that I remember about this case that make me go oh yeah she killed her kid number one while she didn't report the kid and then when she while the child was missing she was photographed like out partying at bar, like there were pictures of her like dancing at clubs and stuff and I'll tell you if my two year old was missing I'm not going to be at the club so sorry about you number two when they found Casey or Kaylee Anthony's body. She had duct tape over her mouth and a heart was drawn on the duct tape, a heart, a heart on the duct tape over her mouth. Mm. What? Number three, not only were things not making sense, she made up. It wasn't just confusing about the nanny. She invented a, a, a black woman that was the nanny that she was trying to put, put people after, sent the police on a wild goose chase after this black nanny who didn't even exist. Mm. So I can't, I'm like, uh, none of that can line up with a mom who's who's worried that her kid has been kidnapped or killed at all. Yeah, yeah, I and and just curious. And in this series, she actually tells her story, and that's the interesting side because all the specials that have been done to date have been very one-sided, and it's mm-hmm. good to hear the other side. Now, doesn't mean I believe that side. I just I like hearing two sides of a well, of a story. Wanna, like, did you read OJ's book? Like, if I did it. <laughs> uh, I mean, I feel like there are two sides. Yes, I love two parts sides. Of it, but, yeah. uh, parts of it, yeah. Parts of it, yeah. I want to read OJ's book. He <laughs> killed Nicole, and Casey killed her well, baby. And it's, Kristen, if you, if you haven't seen the movie 12 Angry Men, you need to go see that movie immediately. Okay. It's a classic. Immediately. Uh, yes, but you got to get set straight on this. Um, it starts out that the jury's ready to convict this guy who I think was charged with murder, and there's one holdout. And the whole movie is the jury deliberation where one juror after the other changes sides and ultimately they acquit him. So you think you think OJ's innocent? Is that what you're saying? Of course he's innocent. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. All right, I'm oh, kidding. Boy. I'm kidding. So, Fred, um, uh, just to clarify for the people out there who didn't pay attention like me or forgot like me, Kaylee... W- was murdered that's the daughter and was she asphyxiated how did how did she die well we they actually this is the whole point is uh casey anthony was acquitted because they they failed to prove the case and i think nobody disputes that the jury members have come forward none of the ones that voted because they're they their lives would be at risk if they said hey i'm a jury member and i voted to acquit casey anthony but the right. backup jury members who can say no i didn't vote but by the way they failed to prove their case um 
they've come forward and said that, that. And I think everyone agrees with that. And that's why she was acquitted. But the the physical evidence just wasn't there. Um, yeah. One, the duct tape, uh, they couldn't really prove it was on her mouth. It may have only been on the sack she was in. Mm. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it, it, there was questionable bag, right? forensic evidence about whether it was on the skin or not. Okay. Um, there was also uh, one of the main evidences was a cadaver dog which if you've studied any kind of forensic type stuff, you know, cadaver dogs are great for finding a cadaver. Uh, they are actually horrible evidence for finding where a cadaver has been uh, because the lead handler can mislead the dog very easily. And that happens quite a bit. And that's why it's not admissible in a lot of courts. Hmm. Um, I didn't know that. Well, it's one of those things where if if you go up and the cops are telling you, uh, we expect there to be a cadaver was in this trunk. You can really mess up the dog and and just constantly lead them to the trunk. Like, I want you to mark right. here. And the dog can be like, you're not happy with me. How about I just mark this spot mm-hmm. for right. you so that you'll be happy with me? You, do, um, along those lines, and I learned this the hard way in the practice of law, do you know that polygraphs can also be manipulated by the administrator? Yes, I, yep. If the administrator wants you to fail, you will fail the polygraph, which is, it's not admissible. A polygraph's not admissible in a court of law, but it is frequently used to determine whether or not they're going to continue an investigation or whether they're going to give you a plea agreement or whether you're telling the cops everything that you know is part of your plea agreement. I don't think they should use them at all. And I've seen that. I've seen them misused. So Fred, uh, this actually, this Kaylee Anthony thing, and you're talking about two sides of the story is a perfect segue into what we're coming on here to talk about. And as most right-of-way professionals know, the tail end of the involuntary acquisition process, if it is necessary, requires courtroom testimony. And by its very nature, that courtroom testimony, nine times out of ten, maybe ten times out of ten, I've never had an eminent domain case that didn't involve expert testimony. And usually it's an appraiser versus an appraiser, but there are collateral issues. Sometimes you need a broker. Sometimes you need a surveyor. Sometimes you need other people who are professionals that that can testify to things that a regular Joe or Jane doesn't know about. So what happens in these cases is the landowner has his or her experts and the condemning authority has his or her. And for instance, one surveyor will, or excuse me, one uh, appraiser will opine as to value and tell you why. And then the other side will have an appraiser to opine as to value and then tell you why. And then the jury decides who's more credible. They hear both sides of the story. They hear both arguments and they make the cause to what the value is in an eminent domain case. And Fred, I think what you told me, and this just came up last night, and this is being recorded today, and it's being released today. And so last night you texted me, and you said that you had an a, an experience as an expert witness, which sounded kind of interesting to me and really put up my antenna. And I wonder if you want to talk about it a little bit today. Yeah, well, you know, some background. I, I've done quite a bit of expert witness cases, um, usually land boundary disputes, Um some other ones as well, but, uh, there's been times I've been a witness for both the, uh, both sides of a case in the same case and that in the same case. And that has happened in the past with surveyors. That's not unheard of because a lot of times we're just reporters of facts, right? You know, here are the facts on the ground and we're, we're going to be called up there to answer specific questions or present 
specific um, exhibits of why we felt the land boundary was here or there. Uh, in other cases, there's a specific survey done of two different lines and one, so I may be the defendant, uh, and then there's another surveyor um, who's the, uh, and they, um, oh my gosh, my, my brain's drawing a blank there, but, uh, and, and we have opposing opinions and we're up there to defend our line uh, in opposites. So you see that different ways. In this case, um, it was a gas, two gas pipeline companies, one, and, and this may not mean a lot to you because I know you're from one of those colonizer states back east, but uh, <laughs> it's one one pipeline company bought the western uh, 30 feet of a section and another pipeline company bought the eastern 30 feet of the adjacent section. So in theory, they, they're not overlapping each other. They bought from two different landowners, two different pieces of land, and there's a whole nother trend. We could have an entire different podcast about acquiring land before the survey is done because that's what they did. They took a deed and they acquired this 30 feet. They didn't get any surveys done. Mm. And then the pipeline comes to get built and one pipeline gets built and the other pipeline comes to get built and they find out they're on top of each other when the second pipeline scrapes the, the brand new pipeline that got built just a month before oh. uh, with a backhoe. Uh, oh. It didn't even have locator surface evidence hadn't even been installed yet over top of the, the other line. This was because of duplicate section corners. And so one surveyor held one set of section corners. The other surveyor held the other. Well, well st slow and, down. What is a section corner to, okay, to us lawyers and relocation agents? <laughs> so in um, the subdivided states uh, that have the uh, section grid, the original surveyors came out and they set every half mile original corners along the section lines and the section lines are divided from that so they're about a half mile they're not exact the corner holds wherever that corner was set becomes the corner of the section that becomes a controlling point of that boundary unfortunately the corners in this location were lost or never possibly never set and they've been since reset by surveyors but different corners were set so surveyors didn't agree on the position of the boundaries and they set two different sets of corners. And so if you held one set of corners, you overlapped the 30 foot boundary with the other set of corners by about 28 feet. What's there? Is it like a pen or something? What's that? It's a just corner? a farmland. And, and, uh, Oh, what the actual like corners are. Cor yeah. How is it marked? Um, I think most of these corners were iron pipes with uh with caps on top of them mm -hmm. we have some of and, those out here but a lot of our surveys in the east as you know fred will be like you know runs along the creek till it hits the old oak tree then turns left and goes in a spaghetti-like fashion until it doesn't close anything <laughs> yeah <laughs> so you guys have your have your act together a lot better out there anyway proceed please so imagine it get, runs between two old oak trees, but the oak trees are gone and two different surveyors decide to put monuments in in two different positions of where those oak trees were. And these happen to overlap. So the two, they start going to court over this and they realize, okay, we each have an expert witness now. Um, unfortunately, the contractor who built this, neither contractor used a surveyor. 
So they have to get it surveyed to go to court. Right. So they get it surveyed and they realize each surveyor basically just kind of proved their, their own contractor's opinion. So their friends, the two attorneys who are trying this case, it's oil and gas, right? Pretty close knit yep. world. They know each other. Small sandbox. And they, right. And so they say, okay, well, we're going to have to go out and get some other opinions. I get contracted by one of the parties. He asked me to come in and look over both surveys now. They've agreed to exchange surveys and render an opinion on what I think is correct. And, okay, I go through this exercise, and without going into too much detail, I render an opinion. I write up an opinion on these surveys and what I thought was good, what was wrong, where errors were made. And basically, and then, you know, got some comments back from the attorney that was basically, can you rewrite the opinion to more favor my client? Yep. Mm-hmm. And which you I, said? <laughs> no. Oh, I, you I, said, no, Fred, what you're supposed Fred. to say is, well, for some extra cash, maybe, but how much How much is it worth to you? Right yeah. side, Fred, ain't going to do that. Mr. Arnold, you know this. <laughs> he might. I don't know. Defend yourself, Mr. Easton. Right. So the... You know, we looked at it and, and I even looked at like, am I volunteering too much information? Is there anything, you know, that I really shouldn't be throwing out in the opinion? No, I was very comfortable with the opinion, very happy with what was written. And then the attorney said, well, maybe we'll go ahead. How about we do a closed deposition? Okay, so go to his office and it's like a practice deposition, right? Mm -hmm. So we go to do this, and basically it ends with uh, him saying, you know, we're going to go ahead and terminate contract with you. And I said, okay. Um, I said, I'm guessing this is just the, the uh, you know, opinion's just not going the way you hope. And he goes, there's that, but also you're just too honest. Oh, gosh. Okay. And, and, and like, I wrote that down in my notes. <laughs> Did right he really at the say end, that? Because I thought, I've never been fired for, for being too honest. And I, and I just wanted to write that down this and underline like, it. This is like when you go into a job interview and they're like, what's, what are, what are your strengths? And you go through that and they go, what are some of your faults? And you're like, well, I'm, I'm too responsible. <laughs> I'm, I'm too, I'm too committed to work. <laughs> I work too hard. <laughs> I'm too honest. I'm too that's, punctual. That's hysterical. Yeah, and punctual. and I'm I'm guessing that was the issue was was when when answered like some of the questions was did you see any you know is there any reason why you would hold this monument over that monument and, and the answer was literally no like neither neither none of the corners set had great reasons for being where they were mm-hmm. and that was the bottom line there neither there's no smoking gun in this case there's no and, and I even told the attorney day one, after looking at it for just three hours, I said, you know, I'm looking at this and I think you should probably settle. Really? Because I just don't see anything here that's, I mean, we'll dig into it. We'll dig much deeper if you want us to, but I don't see anything that's going to put you in a position where you can say, this is definitely our easement. This is absolutely our easement. Get out of our easement. I'm just not seeing that kind of evidence. And, and he, he just went, well, uh, we'll go ahead and keep digging and we'll pay for it. And, and we just really want this pipeline to sit where it is. Mm-hmm. We really need it to sit where it is. And, you know, it was, it, it was an interesting case of just being almost pressured to being 
biased as an expert witness. Yeah. And you know, that that's a, you know, it, it's, and I have to tell you that social, um, bias, like it was in my head for at least a minute or two of like, should I change some things? You know, should I, um, and even when he, we were doing test questions, there were times where I was like, you know, I could answer this in such a way where I wouldn't really be perjuring myself. I wouldn't necessarily be honest, but it would look better for the client and wondering, should I answer that way? And then I went, no, that's not how I would answer it as an expert. Right. Well, and this is interesting to me because I've never thought about, I mean, Dave and I talk about all the time appraisers and shady appraisers and good appraisers and shady appraisers and how I've, I've heard, I've heard, I've heard landowner attorneys admit in a public setting some things that they do to get the right numbers on appraisals that made my, I mean, I, I, I almost passed out when I heard it. I've never thought about surveyors being put in that position um, and having to decide like, wait a minute, am I doing the right thing? And you know, we always know what the right thing is eventually, right? It's not hard. My uncle used to always say to us when we were kids, like, just do the right thing. And like 99.9% .9 of the time, you know what the right thing is. Even if you have to go, wait a minute, should I? And you questioning yourself, like, should I change this? Or should I, you knew what the right answer was. I've just never thought about people who do what you do haven't been in that same sort of position to have to decide whether or not to be shady. <laughs> yeah, well, and you know, no offense, Dave, but attorneys know how to use that like social pressure that like, oh, we've been out to lunch. We've been, we're friends. Like you know, pushing on that, that, that social bias, that, uh, trying to get you to align to them. Well, um, and, and I don't do this and I'm being very serious. I don't do this, but they will also use the pressure of, Hey bro, I send you a lot of work. Do you want it to continue? Then I'm going to need some numbers that work on my case. And, and I want to be clear that, um, I, I have, I have terminated services of experts before kind of, but it never was because they were, quote, too honest. There were occasions where I think that that expert didn't understand the assignment or didn't perform the right analysis, or I just frankly disagreed with their conclusion. And this isn't generally an appraiser. It's usually in one of the collateral experts. Like one time I had retained an attorney to help us with a huge case. And he, I'd done the research. I could sit as the expert, you know, but you can't be an expert in your own case. And I knew what the answer was, and he came up with a different answer. And I'm just like, buddy, um, thanks for, you know, thanks for not doing the proper research, but we have to go our separate ways. But that's very different yeah. than, gee, buddy, I don't like what you're saying. And you're just too honest. Yeah. Yeah. Too honest. Too you honest. put that on your resume. Too honest, Freddie. Freddie too honest. One, one's fired for being too honest. I've, I've definitely like that. That's I'm remembering that one. For sure. You should. I'm not kidding. It should be in your bio or something. That's but, because it's funny and it's also it says a lot about you. That you know that could when, when you're next time you're deposed and they're they're probing your uh, qualifications. You know, yeah, somehow I would let that slip out. <laughs> Somebody <laughs> can use that. So it's great, Fred. That's a great story. I appreciate you um, texting us about that last night and. Uh, I have a question for you before we move to the next seg segment. Speaking of being too honest and getting fired, what what we typically do on the main podcast is interview the incoming IRWA president at conference. And um, 
I, one of my favorite things to do, and we went very hard on Jake Farrell, really hard, but Jake deserved it, frankly, and could take it. And we asked Judy some tough questions, uh, and she acquitted herself remarkably. We made some public comments about how Judy was sitting there and not James Olszewski, and a couple people in the audience didn't appreciate that. Frankly, I don't care whether they appreciate it. The fact of the matter was that James wasn't sitting there, had committed to do the podcast, and and we never, you know, got a call to say he wasn't going to do it. So, uh, how you feeling about that? You you game? I'm definitely game. You sure? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, should we go on the spectrum of podcast interviews? Should we go more towards Jake? I mean, we could get into the ideas task force. We could get into your run for the IEC. We could get into all the things that were wrong with pipe that you found when Kristen and I were the only members of the committee. (laughs) That's going to come up, I'm sure. (laughs) We We, were the only members of the committee. When you were the only members of the committee and you weren't meeting with anyone or doing anything because it was basically like shut down for a year. It it wasn't even shut down. Nobody was even talking to us. Yeah. We were like just in like this little, we felt like scapegoats. It was like, are we Patsy's in this? Like what's, what's happening? But well, I think we should dive into that a little, a little bit because it's interesting. And you know, we were the only two members of a committee that now has, I don't know, like 15, 18 members or something. I don't, I'm not on it anymore, but there's, there's several 12 to 18, somewhere in there. True story. Kristen and I met one another when Jeff Jones appointed both of us to the committee. We'd never, uh, I'd only spoken briefly, um, but that's how we got to know each other. And there were times, and we hardly knew each other, where she would call me or I would call her and say, hey, are you still on this committee? Because I don't know if I, whether I've been terminated or not because I haven't heard from anybody, but are you still on and what are we doing here? And and there were times we where would... she was going to resign. <laughs> I almost quit about 1,700 times. <laughs> Altered the course of IPEC forever when yeah. you did. You know, it yeah. It was a weird year, and, and there's there's some things we could get into if we wanted to behind the scenes that happened, how people used that task force to get what they wanted regardless of the results of the report. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that happened and, and happened multiple times. And, and you know, there's things even now people will say, well, you guys found this during that task force and I'll have to correct them and say, well, no, we didn't actually, that was not the conclusion. And you can go pull the report and read it if you'd like to. Um, that information, you know, is different than what the rumor has it as. Right. Well, let's not get too far into it. Cause I'm, I'm liking this as fertile territory for Denver next summer. And we might have to mention the the little tidbit of information that you were once fired for being too honest. Yeah. <laughs> so we've only got a few minutes left and we usually wrap up with just kind of a question of how are you doing? How are things going? And it's, it's, this is, I described the woo woo section of the podcast. Like, um, we, we all came out of COVID. I think we're all changed. I think that, you know, we've been through some tough times. I think there's an enhanced awareness of the importance of self-care and mental health. Um, anyway, so tell us how it's going with you. Are you uh, psycho or going to check yourself into the psych ward? Or are you doing all right? Or what's happening? Hey, Fred, I'm are doing you o- psycho? I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. It's uh, the, the employment situation's been a, a little rough, um, but uh, I think a lot of people are dealing with the same issue. Um, that's another 
podcast you could dig into. I think you touched on it in one of your past ones a little bit uh, that, you know, where it's coming from. There's no simple one answer, but it, it's a lot of different things. But um, I've had to do my own drafting for like the last month. I finally have a good drafter coming on board, uh, which is exciting for me. Um, that's fully assigned to my projects and only my projects, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, there's, uh, our field crew situation is finally stable. That's, that's been great to have to, uh, not, not have to tell clients, well, yeah, I can go survey that. Give me two months. Um, that, which has been really tough for a lot of engineers to swallow that bitter pill. Uh, for a while and we've, we've been now more like backlogs 10 days or so on field services. So that's closer to normal. So that, that's getting a lot better, but, uh, dealing with some of that high stress, uh, I have to say walking my dogs have been huge, just being able to get out and, and just go for a walk with my dog, uh, clear my head once a day, no matter how busy I am. It's just like, okay. And, and normally I would, I would skip it, but I have a puppy, a big puppy. And if you don't walk him, he just turns into some kind of Tasmanian devil and, and will tear up something in the house. So you got to walk that devil out of him. And, uh, so no matter how busy I am, that walk has to occur. You you know, Fred, sorry, go ahead. He's, he's a rescue. He's a mix uh, about half great Pyrenees, half Husky, uh, half Australian cat or quarter half, not half. The rest of the half is half he's a, husky. He's a dog and a half. <laughs> <laughs> is is so like a quarter husky, eighth cattle dog, eighth uh, pit bull. So a lot of energy. Oh my goodness, uh, yeah. What's his name? It's Ralphie. Okay, we I've met Ralphie. Yeah. Didn't I meet Ralphie in um, Omaha? You did. Say, you did. When he was. Dog? Yep, yeah. we brought him to Omaha at the IGC meeting. Uh, I remember Ralphie. He he was about half the size he is now in really? Omaha. So he he's just under eighty pounds now. Oh Jesus, that's a lot of doo doo, yeah, Fred. Wasn't small in Omaha. <laughs> no, he was he was over forty pounds in Omaha. Yeah. Wow, because that was the thing. Because the hotel was like, he must be under forty pounds, and we're like, yeah, yeah, he's under forty pounds. Well, you know, you touched on something that that I can very much identify with, and it's funny, pre-COVID, post-COVID, pre-COVID, go to the office every day, and even during COVID, I went to the office, and it was only because of adjustments made during COVID that I work remotely, but I'm like you, Fred, I do this thing that was unheard of three years ago, in that in the middle of the day, I'll go take a walk for 30 minutes, 45 minutes, and, and... it's good for you physically, but it's really good for me mentally just to clear the cobwebs, be kind of mindful, look around at the trees, you know, avoid getting hit by a bus or depending on where you are. And I just can't believe that something as simple as that was unheard of by and large in the, in the business world three years ago. And now we do it on a regular basis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting. You see it too. Uh, Going back to the office now, my office is in uh, my Denver office. I've, we've got three front range offices, but the Denver office is in the tech center in Denver. And I remember um, you would only see there's some some apartments nearby and you would only see people walking on this trail near the office in like uh, workout clothes. And, and you're right. Now you see business suits. You see women in dresses. Um, you see people every day in business attire walking that same trail yep. and, and yeah, I don't remember that 
pre-COVID. Yeah, yeah. So, Fred, I so much appreciate you taking the time to come on. I told you that we wouldn't take more than 30 minutes of your time, and we're going to stick to that. I'm so happy that you're committed to join us in Denver, and now we have some good topics to probe, um, and we'll see what type of crown you get then. Until next time. Bye. Bye.